0: KRCL, 90.9 FM, HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, on the web at KRCL.org. Listener supported Community Radio.
1: Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight with me. Every weeknight at 6, we pass the microphone to folks getting up to some good trouble in the community. And if you have an idea for the show, I'd love to hear about it. Radioactive at krcl.org. And, of course, you can also send us a love note. The love note hotline for Valentine's Day is open. Call 801-903-1279. And shout out some love to anything, anyone, and organizations in the community. Maybe your love for the Great Salt Lake, even. More details at krcl.org. Coming up on the show tonight, Ranked Choice Voting with former state lawmaker Rebecca chavez Hauck. She's now part of We Are Democracy Rising. She's invited a friend from that organization to join us. We're going to talk about BIPOC women as agents of change in that conversation, too, and why Ranked Choice Voting is something that can empower that same BIPOC woman as a change agent. Also on the show, Red Cross Blood Drive. We've got Nikki Walker from the Utah Black Chamber stopping in to talk about all the events they've put together for NBA All-Star events coming up this month. And we're gonna get to the UMFA and their Many Wests exhibit. But first, if you go to krcl.org, go along with me. Play along at home click on community affairs you'll find the tab for rallies and resources and at the top of that list i have actually put together a list of legislative bill trackers active during the ongoing session of general session of the utah legislature so the aclu of utah heel utah league of women voters of utah the ywca utah they'll have different perspectives on uh the work they do on behalf of the community and they track different bills. It's a great way to get into it, but you can also go to le.utah.gov and pull up your lawmakers, look at what legislation they've sponsored, hit a, a, a tracking page, sign up for a free account and track all the bills you're interested in. Go back later and listen to the live debate or sign up to participate and give your two cents to lawmakers. Tomorrow, it's the State of the Union with President Joe Biden, and that is 8 p.m. on most major networks. And I believe that's Eastern time, folks. Want it unfiltered? I've got a link for you to C-SPAN, your tax dollars at work. Also tomorrow, applications open for the summer downtown farmer's market at Pioneer Park. And I believe they're open until April 7th. So if you're interested in becoming a new vendor, whether that's uh, as an urban farmer or farmer anywhere in Utah, or an artisan, baker, or a crafter, uh, a busker, a musician, you want a table, then it's time to get your application in. I've got a link for you there as well. Coming up on Thursday, if you'd like to go and see the Capitol firsthand, Red Acre Center's weekly politics and pastries is at 9.30 to 10.30 every Thursday, room 160 of the Utah State Capitol building at 350 North State Street in downtown Salt Lake. It's a busy session. There's lots of bills to discuss, support, and oppose, especially when it comes to the agri and they'd like to invite you to join them in helping to build local food economies by being part of the legislative process, whether you're a seasoned pro or have never stepped foot on the grounds, So this is another way into the people's house, your house. Also on Thursday at the Capitol at noon, it's Utah Maternal Health Month, a press conference and some announcements. And I've got a link to all that you uh, that information. And if you'd like to participate, you can go up to the Capitol and, and see that in action. Also on Thursday at five o'clock in the evening, Trans Youth on the Hill. It's a singin', I do believe, on the South Step, singing a medley of This Is Me and God Help the Outcasts. The organizers will be coordinating all of that. And you can get more details at Rallies and Resources. It's on or under the Community Affairs tab at KRCL and now we're going to go to zoom for our next guests and let me just get up my screen so i can see them although i'm having problems with my camera and they cannot see me i apologize for that so from the utah museum of fine art we have joining us we have ashley marie farmer and derek anthony hall hi how you doing good how are you thank you so
2: much for having us
1: Thank you both yeah. for joining us to talk about the Many Wests exhibit, which opened over the weekend. I want to hear about that. But first, Ashley, can you tell us what you do up at the uh, at the uh, museum?
2: Sure. I co-direct uh, learning and engagement and work a lot with kind of adult and university programs.
1: Excellent. Derek. Yes,
3: I uh, one small correction. It's Derek Anthony Wall.
1: I'm sorry. Um, I said Hall, didn't I? I apologize. Derek yeah, Anthony it, Wall, I appreciate okay. you correcting me.
3: <laughs> no worries. I am the manager of adult and university programs for the Utah Museum of Fine Arts in the Learning and Engagement Department.
1: All right so uh, this might be both uh, for both of you but whoever feels like they should take point. Tell us what this exhibit is about that just opened. Many West's Artists Shape an American Idea.
2: So Many West is this exhibition we're super excited about um, It's an exhibition that offers this fresh perspective on Western art and history through work by modern and contemporary artists. And it presents this broader, really more inclusive view of the West and a fuller range of voices who stake a claim in the region. So black, indigenous, Asian American, Latinx, and LGBTQ plus artists. Um, And because there are all of these different perspectives, it really kind of disrupts misconceptions and myths and racist cliches that have dominated really stories of the West and, and Western art. And, um, and you know, I think it, it's special because it highlights that multiple communities and histories continue to really form the West, the region. And it shows that the West has always been a place of, you know, many stories and experiences and cultures. So never just one West. And um, we're really excited about that. So dozens of works in the exhibition and uh, by 46 different artists.
1: And that's, I think, something that's needed to happen for a while, I'd say over the last 10 years, more and more museums trying to to use art as that gateway into this conversation about you know, a broader view of, of history and art can mm-hmm. get us there. Derek, what's your take on many Wests and what do you want folks to walk away with or come and do?
3: Well, I like Ashley said. It's really just a stunning exhibition that really dispels these mythos and preconceived notions we have about the West, and it's it's a sight to behold. I'm I'm I think it's so beautiful and powerful. Um, and as far as things to do, we have a upcoming Acme session called Many Stories, Many Wests. It's on Wednesday, March first, from six to seven thirty p.m. Uh, it's free for the public and it's being hosted at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. It's a community conversation, uh, gallery tours, art making, and there's refreshments. And it's part of our ongoing ACME session series of community engagement events that we have throughout the year. And for this session, um, we're, we're posing the questions, you know, what is the West to you? What's your story? And how do these stories intertwine? So we've invited a variety of people from our community to share their personal perspectives on works that are within the exhibition. And these responses just are beautiful. We've we've been able to hear a few of them, but they, they range from scholarly to creative to personal. And we're just thrilled to give a platform to these members of our community to share their own unique experiences about living in the American West.
1: Now, as I- re- and, <clears throat> Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, as I recall, the Harlem Renaissance exhibit, we had recorded voices. So, are you recording these so we could maybe share these stories, these personal stories of many Wests, on the show?
3: Yeah, um, we we will be doing uh, audio stop recordings that of each person's um, contribution, and they're available on our website the day after the event, and. When you're in the gallery with the artwork, you can scan a QR code and you can listen to their audio stuff while you're viewing the work and interacting with the work. Um, it's really a fun way just to to have that entry point, you know, and and hear other people's experiences with the art.
1: Great, we'd love to be able to expand that conversation by bringing them on, those voices on the show, those recordings, and then in April, I know that's a ways away, folks, it's hard to imagine with the temperatures the way they've been that April is coming, but it will, it will be here. And in early April, I believe, you have an artist talk. I'm not sure who can share details about that, Ashley or Derek?
2: Sure, yeah, we have an artist talk um, on April 5th, that's one of our free Wednesdays, and it's with the artist, David Taylor, and Marcos Ramirez Are um, they created this series of 48 prints uh, where they've basically kind of taken on this epic effort to photograph, to mark and photograph um, the never before surveyed 1821 border between the U.S. and Mexico. So um, those works of art are in uh, the UMFA's collection. It's a really amazing, series and we're excited that both artists will be here to share a little bit about their collaborative process and their travels and what this uh, kind of has been like for them to make it and to talk to the community about it too so we're, we're really excited about it
1: such a great exhibit going on and it's finally here it started over the
2: weekend ashley where can folks learn more you can learn more by visiting our website uh, umfa.utah.edu you can Um, read about some of the artists in the exhibition and um, take a peek at our calendar we have we have quite a few different events coming up around this so we really hope that the community can come out and enjoy this show with us
1: thank you so much both of you for joining us via zoom to have this conversation i appreciate your time
2: thank you so much laura
3: thanks laura this was fun
1: so folks, check tonight's show notes for more details on Many Wests at the UMFA, Utah Museum of Fine Arts, up on the University of Utah campus, and I believe Tracks goes right on up there, too, if you're looking for a way to get there. Right now, though, we're going to talk about the All-Stars, NBA All-Stars weekend, and all the cool things that are happening with the Utah Black Chamber, and Nikki Walker has just uh, arrived to share us the, the good word. Yes, hey. Hey.
4: hey, thank you for having me. So
1: nice to meet you. Yes. Utah Black Chamber, remind folks about the
4: organization and what you do. Of course. So the Utah Black Chamber is in its 13th year right now, and we are an organization that, has, that was founded to amplify voices of black business owners here in Utah. Our goal really is to stand people up financially um, and make sure that uh, minority businesses have the resources that are necessary to move to the next level. And now you've
1: got this great opportunity with the NBA All-Star Weekend coming up here in the middle of the month
4: what do you got planned? So we were incredibly fortunate. First of all, we have a brand new CEO, president and CEO, Dr. Sydney Shorter. She is currently on a plane to London. I envy her. (laughs) To sit on a diversity panel. She's incredible. Oh, yes. Um, And she was able to make contact with the NBA, um, the NBA Players Association, the NBA Foundation, and we were able to get their blessing on the events that we're doing. So we have the NBA Players Association, the NBA Foundation, Microsoft, Jimmy Choo, uh, Uncle Nearest, and a few others. I'm probably missing somebody. Don't hate me. Um, but those are our huge sponsors for the weekend. And I have my little cheat sheet here. Pull it out because I'm trying to get it, it up as the same time. I have a time. cheat sheet.
1: I think you got it first. Go. Because
4: we have about seven events. So we are starting our NBA All-Star Weekend actually on Thursday. And Thursday at the Zions Bank um, Eagle Emporium, which is that historic Zions Bank on 100 South in Maine, mm-hmm. they have. Thank you, Scott Anderson. They have donated that building to us for the entirety of NBA All-Star Weekend. Oh, wow. So on Thursday and Friday of All-Star Weekend, we're actually hosting a hospitality suite and art exhibit. So we've managed to find a fine artist from Utah, a black woman, uh, who we will be displaying her art. Inside of that hospitality suite, we want people to come and network warm-up. We have a black-owned coffee company. We have black-owned spirits, wine and spirits. Um, And Microsoft has been so incredibly kind. They understood that we were going to be doing a soft launch for the Utah Black Museum during All-Star Weekend. I
1: forgot the chamber was taking that over.
4: That's right. And what they have managed to do is digitize the museum so that we can do a soft launch through kiosks. So if you are Are familiar with 80s and 90s comedy? Then you know Felicia Rashad. (laughs) She is the the mom on the Cosby Show, Uh Um, and she is going to be one of our guest speakers. No way! Yes, she will be a guest speaker along with her husband Ahmad Rashad. Ahmad Uh, Rashad? That's correct. Both of them. Both of them together. Um, She has taken a huge interest in Mm -hmm. finding financial backing for our um, the communications section of. Of the black uh utah black museum and speaking of financial backing we will also be announcing our first million dollar donor no. to the utah black museum on Fantastic. thursday at 4 p.m oh my gosh so like seriously that's thursday the 16th thursday the 16th
1: okay thursday the 16th come on you can just tell me it's just you and me talking
4: here. i ain't telling <laughs> <laughs> You gotta be in the building. You've gotta be in the building. Okay, it's gonna be phenomenal. Oh my um, gosh! So aside from those two days of our incredible hospitality suite, where we expect to see celebrities and influencers and business people from around Utah who are gonna come in to do their networking, it's gonna be a phenomenal event. We've got um, Miss Essie's barbecue mm. actually doing the catering. That. so Ooh. come get this barbecue, y'all. It's going to be. It's going up. It's is going it sugar up. free? I'm doing sugar-free
1: February. I'm sorry, oh honey. my gosh, I can't help it. Okay, that's no. my cheat day. <laughs>
4: It'll that's be your cheat, cheat day, exactly. So, following that, um, well, included in Thursday and Friday. We have managed to work with Microsoft to get involved with the school system here in Utah. And there will be a Microsoft boot camp for STEM. Oh, really? So who's invited to that? 400 students from across Utah will not only participate in the STEM boot camp, Uh but Microsoft is giving every single one of them a laptop. What? Yes. Those Every are 400
1: lucky students. You
4: better know uh-uh. it. You better know it. How'd you it. choose them? Um, well, Microsoft worked with um, all of the Board of Education here <laughs> and found the schools that were Title I. Yeah. And so we're going into communities that are most deserving and most um, underserved. That's a great
1: way to leverage this weekend. Exactly. That's and that, huge. you
4: know, that is a really big part of what the Utah Black Chamber wants to do. The eyes of the world are going to be on us. We want to amplify the black community. We want to amplify the businesses that are here and let people know. You know, Utah does have diversity. Yeah. That's a real thing, <laughs> and we, you know, we just get bad press. Ugh. So we are hoping that this weekend is really going to help us to amplify the good things that are happening in the black community.
1: You got a couple other things. A Couple I don't other things. Want to go without mentioning all of it? So
4: let's so do. So let's do. Um, there's a forward-thinking panel discussion, and that is sponsored by J.P. Morgan and Coca-Cola and Microsoft that's happening February 16th name the names <laughs> on the panel
1: because people are going to be like I got to be there
4: oh wait I'm not going to name the names on that panel but I got another panel for okay. you that we'll talk about after that on February um also on February 16th is the national um the NBAF National NBA Foundation is fully hosting a black business pitch competition oh, that's now we cool. have four Four entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs from Utah, from Utah, who will okay. be pitching, and four black entrepreneurs from around the country who will also be pitching for a twenty five thousand dollar first prize. That is a good prize. That's it's good gonna and and the Utah, uh, the Utah businesses, because the Black Chamber. Believes in no losers. Mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan Chase has come on board and said we are going to award them with a monetary donation. So after the pitch competition happens, whoever wins wins, and then we're back in the Eagle Emporium for a reception where they will be uh, granted some grants from J.P. Morgan to move their companies forward.
1: That's fantastic. Okay, I'm just going to make it an executive decision here, and KRCO would like to help them as well. So we are happy to talk to them about underwriting. We can detail this later because I. I just thought of you've this you've got to be kidding me no. so happy to help that the utah businesses in particular
4: thank you so you're much welcome. so that's happening and then two more events one huge event that all of the community should come out for is the mardi gras in the mountains <laughs> ball uh, who's Mardi playing Graw and the mountain who's playing yeah do, do
2: i hear changes?
4: i changing, think changing, changing lanes, lanes is gonna be in the building <laughs> so we've got live music from the best band in the land changing lanes we've got some other live entertainment as well three floors at the Leonardo it is going to be massive and incredibly fabulous
1: well the Utah Black Chamber has leveraged the heck out of this weekend that's right I mean you're helping kids you're getting them laptops you're getting them exposure with Microsoft and STEM there's the pitch there's uh, the million dollar announcement for the, the million museum you got Felicia and Ahmad Rashad that's right have we missed anything that we need to cover the
4: last thing we're doing is actually a private event with the nba and the nba foundation but it is going to be spectacular Mm. we learned that the ceo and president of jimmy Choo, one of my favorite designer labels is a black woman she's the first black woman to ever run a european shoe brand and so we are we are leveraging this weekend as Quiet success Mm. because that's what it feels like for black business owners who are successful here. It is quiet success and we're going to amplify it in that weekend. Mm -hmm. So Jamie, who is the CEO of uh, Jimmy Choo, will be our guest speaker at our NBA Foundation brunch on Sunday. We are having it hosted by comedian Ricky Smiley. We also have um, the executive director of the NBA Players Association, Tamika Trimaglio, and she's going to do a fireside chat with Jamie. And then we have – Four black business owners in Utah who are incredible and they're going to be on the panel so we've got lots and lots going on for the weekend. So how do people catch
1: up with all this because there's stuff that's like you said kind of private but there's lots of public stuff.
4: Absolutely so what we want you to do is follow the Utah Black Chamber on Instagram um, at Utah Black Chamber and you can also go to UtahBlackChamber.com and find all of the listings and the links will be there so that you can register for the events especially um, for the hospitality suite. We want to see Utah's there in force. We know celebrities are coming. We know basketball players are coming, but we want our community in the building to experience this and to be a part of this, to amplify their own voices. Uh, so, yeah, so so follow us on Instagram. Get your tickets to the Mardi Gras ball. It is going to be fascinating. And what's the website for the Black Chamber? utahblackchamber.com.
1: We'll put all those links in tonight's show notes, folks, so you can take advantage of such good news and good times coming with the NBA All-Star weekend stuff like that comes to town like i don't want to be anywhere near all this chaos you got to be sounds- in the
4: mix honey <laughs> you amazing. have to get in the mix it's going to be and it's going to be an historic weekend Well, thank you so much for coming in. A pleasure to meet you. Please come back.
1: Same. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And now I wanted to share the microphone with some folks planning a blood drive to support sickle cell patients. It's Red Cross of Utah partnering with Calvary Baptist Church. Let's pass the microphone and find out more, shall we?
5: My name's uh, Rick Bordeaux. I'm uh, the co-director of uh, Alpha Najumba, which means good health uh, for the Calvary Baptist Church. But yeah, it's Friday the 10th starting at one o'clock to six, it actually is going to go to seven because we've actually expanded our goal. We've exceeded our goal. Also. How
1: prevalent is sickle cell in Utah and will this blood stay in our community? Rick or Michael Smalton from American Red Cross, can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. So, of course, everything starts local and expands outward. So, it's all about what the need is in the current community situation. So, Uh, The blood is, uh, of course, drawn here at this blood drive. Um, It's taken to our lab here in Salt Lake, um, where it's analyzed and cleaned. And then we uh, will look for the need um, in the community where it's at. So we, uh, the Red Cross services, all hospitals here, um, here in the state of Utah, minus two. Um, So the need throughout the state of Utah is pretty significant. Um, And then, especially when it comes to uh, the specialty drives, when it comes to sickle cell, Uh, We really need um, to keep this blood here at home um, for those who are a good possibility for a sickle cell match. But the awesome part about it, though, is even though if it's not needed here, um, we are nationwide. And so we will look for um, if there's a good possible match for somebody uh, who will be able to match better with that blood and make sure they have that life saving blood with them.
1: So, Rick, you announced this at Calvary Baptist on Sunday, Representative Holland's with you. Um, what's the response? What are people going to look forward to on Friday?
5: So, yeah, we had uh, we had an announcement at Calvary doing our 11 o'clock service. And, and we have uh, had great response uh, because, you know, one thing, our mission, Calvary Baptist, our ministry, uh, Alpha Najumba, is to reach out to our congregation, and the community in general for their health needs. And we purposely scheduled this uh, blood drive uh, during Black History Month because sickle cell is uh, so important to our black community. And our focus and our purpose is to get our own congregation, our own people, because we've had people within our congregation who have passed from sickle cell. So we want to do our part and we want to start right with our congregation, right with our black community and getting uh, people to sign up for this blood drive because, you know, sickle cell, you know, it is, you know, the genetics and, and with, with uh, the genetics of it, uh, the chances of us getting matches and stuff, starting with the black community for people that need it are a lot higher. So that, that was our purpose. That's our goal. Uh, we started off with uh a goal of 40. Uh, We have surpassed that as of this morning. uh, We're at 47. And and, in fact, we're um, uh, we're completely full right now. But, you know, if we have other people that hear, you know, this broadcast or, you know, uh, that want to donate, uh, I'm sure Michael can talk about Red Cross on other areas and other places that people can donate.
1: Yes, Michael, tell folks how they can donate, because regardless of when these blood drives are held, we are experiencing repeated blood shortages in our community and across the country, right?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a rotating, sadly, issue. Um, and this is the part of the year where a lot of people tend to forget. Um, we, we get to those um, parts where a lot of people really get busy with things with work and school and family and kind of tend to forget. And this usually happens after the new year where uh, people are in the gyms and doing <laughs> doing stuff. And so it's just not a priority. So um, we are thankful for Calvary Baptist Church for holding this drive. And uh, of course, um, with their drive being, it's currently full, we're working to expand that. Um, as Rick said earlier, um, to expand it and extend it to um add some additional slots for people to to join the drive so but um in addition um if if you can't make it on the 10th um you can always go to redcross.org um and find a blood drive near you
1: absolutely do that folks Check the show notes for links to sign up for this or any other Red Cross blood drive and help out in your community. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive. And when we come back, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk is in the house. We're going to talk ranked choice voting. We're going to introduce you to a new group. We are Democracy Rising and what they're working on. But to get us from here to there, don't know if you saw the Grammys last night, but uh, Samara Joy, she was recognized, a Grammy can't Get Out of This Mood, her album, Linger a While. Best New Artist, I believe. Enjoy, right here on Radio Radioactive.
6: Can't get out of this mood.
1: KRCL amplifies the work of community nonprofits like Comunidades Unidas, an organization that fights to build the social and political power of people who identify as Latinx immigrants, including undocumented folks living in Utah. More details at cuutah.org.
7: Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller's Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com.
6: Valentine's Day is Tuesday, February 14th, and we're ready to deliver some love out into the world with KRCL Listener Love Notes. Call the Love Note hotline and leave a message or shout out for that special person, local cause, or organization. Call 801 903 1279 to leave your love note, then tune into KRCL Tuesday, February 14th from 6am to 6pm to hear love songs, breakup songs, makeup songs, and listener love notes on air. Find the number and the details at krcl.org. And don't wait, the hotline closes Friday, February 10th
1: time to get your love note in. Perhaps your love for the Great Salt Lake. Perhaps your love for a bill. Perhaps your love for a love song. We'd love to hear it all. And that number is 801-903-1279. Do it now. Don't wait. I'm Laura Jones. This is Radioactive. And coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian at 8, Night Train with Michelle at 10.30, and John Florence back for a brand new day at 6 a.m. If you missed the show and you want to listen, well, you can catch the last two weeks of any show on demand at krcl.org. And also, before we dive into our next conversation, questions, comments, suggestions for your Community Affairs show, send them to me. The email address is radioactive at krcl.org. Rebecca Rebecca Chavez-Hauk is back in studio. Former Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk from what was then District 24. We've had redistricting since then. Yep. We've had gerrymandering since then, but we won't go there. (laughs) Can I ask you to be impolitic about that? What do you think of the last uh, redistricting? Oh, sad. It was sad? Well, what, what
7: wasn't sad is that the redistricting commission, with which I was also affiliated with for a while, did its work? Yeah, you like better showed, boundaries, didn't yeah, you? For a while, yeah, and it le- and it left the the commission that had been convened did the job the way it should have been done. Mm-hmm. They did a wonderful job. It was a bipartisan commission. They came up with great maps, and then of course the legislature decided to ignore them, just do whatever they wanted Yeah, and there's but, a lawsuit. But but the good thing about uh, the commission itself and the intent behind having an independent redistricting commission is we showed that it worked. Yeah. And that's the reason why they vote that's why the legislators voted against it. But there's that's the discussion for another day. But it's all part it's all a part of people's voice being heard and the best ways to
1: take down barriers to allow the people's voice to be heard. We have a supermajority in this state. And mm-hmm. supermajorities I have found, whether they're blue or red, mm-hmm. ultimately are bad because it concentrates power. And as we all know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. If I can just throw that in there, that old chestnut. So one of the things that lawmakers, some lawmakers want to do is repeal a pilot passed in, I believe, was it 2018? Mm-hmm. The last year you were there? Mm-hmm. Um, to repeal this pilot of Ranked Choice Voting. Will you, in the briefest, most concise way possible, explain what Ranked Choice Voting is?
7: So the easiest way to talk about it is, talk about what happens when you go to the ice cream store and you want to order an ice cream and your favorite is Rocky Road and they are out of Rocky Road. So you look at what they have there and it's like, oh, I'll take uh, the peppermint. That's my second favorite. So I'm going to choose peppermint. And they have that. So, you know, you get peppermint ice cream. And that's basically the essence of ranked choice voting. Instead of just choosing for one candidate, when you look at your ballot, Mm -hmm. you can rank the candidates in order of preference of who you would like to have represent you. And what we like to say is that you can get a consensus candidate, more likely than not that way. And the majority of the governed get to choose who they're, who's going to represent them. Um, and so that's basically it. Uh, you, you rank your ballot, uh, the tabulation operates in a way to eliminate those with the lowest votes but then your second choices get placed to mm-hmm. those candidates that are re- remaining mm-hmm. and at the end of the day you get someone that has a majority plus one 50 plus one of all of the um the voters uh, vote who voted to to choose that candidate so um, you know it's What we have found in the many cities, there are so many cities and uh, communities across the country that have now started to adopt ranked choice voting instead of a top two winner takes all uh, election. And in the pal- balloting that we've done, and, excuse me, in the polling that we've done with voters that have participated in ranked choice voting elections, they like it. They like it because oftentimes it provides more civility in campaigning. Because if I'm a candidate and I'm going door to door, and maybe I can't convince you because you like that Rocky Road candidate, but I'm going to tell you, why don't you place me second? And I'm talking about the policies. I'm talking about the issues. I'm not dissing other candidates. I'm just saying, why don't you rank me second if you've got another choice? So it gives voters more Uh, They feel like they're really that their votes aren't wasted. A lot of times, you know, when especially when I would go door to door in municipal candidate races, people would say, you know, I really like these three people and I can't choose. I want to be able to rank them. So in uh, 2021, uh, Salt Lake City, for example, was one of the cities that participated in the municipal pilot program. We had actually 23 cities that voted to participate in the pilot program. And I think we only had 21 or 22 that actually did it because the way that their candidates mapped out, they weren't challenged races that would um, lend themselves to a ranked choice voting election. But, you know, we took some polling here in Utah, and the majority of people enjoyed it. They understood it, which is often a myth that is espoused is that people can't understand how to rank a ballot um, and that it's too confusing. But that wasn't the case for the cities that participated in the most part. Most voters said that they would like to continue using ranked choice voting and they'd like to
1: see it like in primary elections and in general elections. Well, I've got a clip from a hearing, Mm -hmm. a couple of clips actually, too. Uh, from last Friday's hearing on this bill, what is it, HB 171? Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. And this is Whit Cook from the Utah Eagle Forum expressing his support of the bill, which would repeal ranked choice voting as a pilot program. Here we go.
8: My name is Whit Cook, and I represent Utah Eagle Forum. Um, To the last point, uh, instead of leaving it to the local level, we should leave it at the caucus level, which is where ranked choice voting has its best effect. parties would be able to select their candidates and those candidates should be allowed to go head to head to find out which candidate wins. Um, We are, ranked choice voting pushes a voter to select other candidates that that would not, that those voters would not ordinarily select out of fear for having their ballot exhausted. Um, Eagle form is, uh, for this bill, we are against ranked choice voting. And again, if parties at the caucus level want to use this, leave it there. We should not allow this uh, complete change to disenfranchised voters. Thank you. Where their ball- ballots... Have Thank been you, closed. sir. If you could remain in your
5: seat just for one quick second, though. Representative Prucci, I'm not sure what your light was on for. Thanks. But- I have a quick question.
1: Uh, for what? Uh, are you in a city that uses ranked choice voting?
8: Um, Do you live in
1: a city, like, do you vote with ranked choice voting right now?
8: I live in a city where we have uh, regular voting. Okay,
1: not ranked choice voting. Not ranked choice voting. I'm just curious, actually, where the, I would, I I am not in an area that does ranked choice voting, Mm -hmm. and so I haven't had the experience of voting with it.
8: Well, and if it does come up, to answer your question, if it does come up locally, um, I would oppose it in my local uh, city and county because it does, it does disenfranchise voters, uh, especially through the ballot exhaustion process. Uh, imagine those who would vote just for one candidate on a matter of principle, out of a matter of protest, and all of a sudden, through the second round, all of those ballots are tossed out.
1: It's Whit Cook of the Utah Eagle Forum. What about ballot exhaustion? Are ballots thrown out if they don't rank every candidate? Rebecca.
7: Um, they're not they're they're not thrown out. I mean, they're they did cast a ballot. Mm-hmm. So um, that 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 is an argument. I mean, that's the choice of the the particular voter. Mm-hmm. And, and Maria might even be able to answer a little bit on the voter exhaustion okay. issue. I, I, I think Let's she could bring in Maria Perez. That. from, from I, we when are She democracy was running rising. it
1: in Santa Fe. I'm sure those questions came up. And Maria Perez, co-director of We Are Democracy Rising. Thanks for joining us via Zoom. How's New Mexico today?
6: New Mexico is lovely today, as it is every day
1: almost. Can you speak to ballot exhaustion or the sense that if my candidate, the number one candidate, didn't win and I only chose one candidate, somehow I'm disenfranchised? Is that a a legitimate argument, Maria?
6: I mean, I was listening to that clip and it doesn't really make logical sense to me because the disenfranchisement that I see with what the person was talking to that clip uh, referred to as regular voting, right? When people are just allowed to pick one favorite candidate and that's it. If that candidate doesn't win, then that ballot is exhausted too, and you lost your vote, right? You you just like your choice was not uh, didn't have a chance to win, and that you are not um, any longer uh, at play. Your vote is no longer at play. Uh, with ranked choice voting, voters can choose to just rank one candidate if, if they wish. Your vote will remain. Uh, active, right? A pertinent to the election as long as that candidate is still in the race. If that candidate uh, happens to be a candidate that is not viable, that does not have enough uh, popular support to be viable, then uh, then yes, that ballot would be exhausted as it would be in a quote unquote, uh, traditional normal election. But with ranked choice voting, if you do rank um, two, three candidates, right? If you have somebody you really love, you would rank him as your first choice. And if there's a couple of backup backup candidates that if your favorite doesn't get elected, you can live with somebody else, right? Like I like this person a lot, but if they can't make it, I'd be happy to have this other person. To me, that is voter enfranchisement, right? That gives voters uh, the opportunity to have their vote at play. Even if their very favorite candidate is not a viable candidate, then their next favorite candidate can be a viable candidate. So to me, it really expands the franchise for the
1: voters. Well, and if elections are non-competitive due to a historic gerrymandering, pattern of gerrymandering, does ranked choice voting help return that power to the voter by empowering the middle of the electorate, Rebecca?
7: Well, and that's one thing that I wanted to bring up related to Witt's comment is this whole notion of taking it back to the caucus system. Number one, the pilot is just municipal races presently, and municipal races aren't part of the caucus system. They're non-partisan races, so it's like, it's a, it's a moot argument to talk about the caucus system. Well, it sounds like someone's afraid of it getting to the oh, bigger races. Oh my gosh. Well, there's that. And but again it go but then I'll make a second point to that. The second largest uh, population of voters in Utah are unaffiliated. Okay? So you've got more than 30% of our electorate that are not affiliated with the party. Now, the Republican Party in particular is a closed primary or a closed caucus system. So unless you're a declared re- a Republican, you can't participate in their mm-hmm. in their processes. So, I mean, even if we were using these for, uh, for partisan elections, within the Republican Party, if you're an unaffiliated member, that might lean center-right, or you just don't want to have to affiliate with a party to be able to talk about disenfranchisement. Mm -hmm. People that are unaffiliated in this state, if they're more conservative-leaning, they are forced to have to participate in a party.
1: I put a link in the show notes. I will put a link in the show notes for tonight. If you'd like to go and watch and listen to this hearing from Friday, it was interesting because one of the complaints from Representative Katie Hall was that there's gamesmanship that happens in ranked-choice voting, and I would argue that the whole... Notion of politics is gamesmanship, Mm -hmm. but who controls the rules? And it feels like growing momentum for ranked choice voting or plurality Mm -hmm. voting threatens the balance of power in some way Mm -hmm. that I have yet to fully understand. Yeah, and I think that what what you
7: often find... I won't say this is always the case, but where I've often seen a lot of the pushback
1: is with incumbent office holders. Yeah, that was the number one. I, I think it puts the first choice at disadvantage, read, disincumb- read yeah. incumbent. Yeah,
7: and, but it doesn't necessarily. I mean, the thing is... It's about consensus of the governor. I'm going to go back to that, where you have a majority of the people really electing the person that is representing them. And if you mm-hmm. look at some of the, like, for example, the gubernatorial race, yeah. uh, where you had our current governor that was in the 30 percentile and won, and he is now our governor. And that was just within, so initially it's within the GOP primary, so it's only GOP people that are electing mm-hmm. him to be placed on the but ballot. But because we're
1: a su- supermajority state, what happens in the party then becomes de facto right. e- election so that's okay. that's why so many of us really would like if you know if we really
7: want the majority of people electing who's representing mm-hmm. them or representing all of us this is an elegant solution and there are just so many reasons but one of the things i really did want to bring up tonight laura is the fact that some of the arguments that people bring up are that Ethnic minorities, uh, limited limited English proficient voters, the elderly will have a difficult time understanding. um, They're just looking out
1: for them. Well, I yeah
7: yeah. (laughs) All of all of a sudden, all of the other things we've tried to do to remove barriers to voter access, they have gotten in the way of. But oh, when it comes to this, all of a sudden they care about. You know, voters in the margins, traditionally in the margins, and the reason I wanted to have Maria join us this evening is that Democracy Rising, um, with 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 Maria in particular, did some really great focus groups a, a couple of years ago when we were, uh, we we were in the middle of our pilot here in Utah, and also she did some focus groups in Las Cruces, um, talking to Spanish speaking voters and talking about right choice voting, and also talking about. What really are the barriers to minority voters participating in the process? And trust me, it's not RCV. There are so many other things yeah. that could improve upon access to the ballot and access to civic engagement. So I wanted to have her talk a little yeah. bit about what the reality is in terms of uh, of voters and, and, and what that RCV isn't the boogeyman. That there are so many other things that we could be doing to improve upon voter access, voter engagement, and civic engagement in general, and some of the things that Democracy Rising is doing.
1: So Maria, tell us as co-director, we are Democracy Rising. What's your mission? And let's get into some of that detail.
6: Sure. So Democracy Rising is an organization. Uh, our mission is um, to create a democracy where everybody is able to participate and where people can hold their elected officials accountable uh, and where people can run for office uh, regardless of, of who they are. That's in a nutshell what we believe in. And,
1: you know, I was just thinking as you're talking, you know, empowering more people to be involved, that that threatens the status quo, whether it's the super red state of Utah and Republicans or the super blue state mm-hmm. of Massachusetts and, and, and the Democrats. So what is what is it you've been finding in these focus groups or hearing feedback in New Mexico about ranked choice voting as you educate people?
6: So yeah, the, I mean, democracy rising, uh, we are um, we specialize, I guess, in implementation of reforms. We've done a lot of implementation uh, work around ranked choice voting. In uh, Utah, we've been working in Alaska for the past year and a half. Uh, we've worked in California and Michigan and New Mexico, all over the place. Um, and so we've done some focus group uh, sort of activities uh, in we did some in New York City when New York City implemented uh, ranked choice voting with five different uh, Asian language communities. And then we followed that up with this uh, this research in Salt Lake City and in Las Cruces, New Mexico with Spanish speaking communities. And the goal is to figure out how best to reach these language communities with information about the new reform, right? Often uh, information, like voter education materials and such, are uh, drafted, created in English, and then sometimes they're just put through a Google Translate and sent out to the community, right? So these are not uh, very effective or efficient ways to communicate uh, information to communities because they can see that it was a botched translation and that it wasn't made for them, right? So this is why we were talking to uh, to these different language communities. And what we learned specifically in, in Salt Lake City, uh, we partnered with Comunidades Unidas to to do those focus groups there and as well as in Las Cruces was that Ranked Choice Voting as a concept, uh, I'll start with saying that there was in, in all of our focus groups and we did several, there was only one or two people that had heard about Ranked Choice Voting and, and knew that it was happening in their communities. Most of the people were coming at it without any uh, awareness of it. But what we learned is that the concept of ranking a ballot right is not foreign to uh to spanish-speaking community we got a lot of comments saying uh after we showed like a little video about how it works um many of our participants were saying things like oh yeah that's how i manage my family like we have a lot of different uh opinions about what we should do or what we should eat or where we should go on vacation or whatever it is and we basically each, you know, say what we want, and we figure out what the consensus option is, and we go from there. So it was a very familiar um, concept in a culture way uh, for for Spanish speaking communities is what we learned. Uh, there was very little, if any, confusion about uh, using it to elect candidates. It made sense, intuitive sense, culturally, uh, you know, relevant sense. Uh, and what we did learn is that the barriers that folks are encountering to participate uh, in the voting process and the political process has a lot more to do with language justice, language access, having, you know, public meetings be uh, interpreted or uh, having materials that go out to the community being uh, translated or created in language. Um, those are the things that are really um be- that are really barriers for people to participate more than having a, a ranked ballot that actually makes sense to them. So,
1: tell me more about ranked choice voting as a way to empower non-traditional or historically expected candidates, especially uh, BIPOC women as agents of change. Does this empower the the newcomer to a campaign to running for office?
6: so yes and in so many different ways i mean we see the outcomes of this uh right in places that have ranked choice voting for example in las cruces new mexico after uh you know a couple of cycles of ranked choice voting we have uh las cruces has a city council that is now fully uh, comprised of women women of color the age in that council uh the median age in that council dropped by like 20 years uh, after a couple cycles of ranked choice voting. It used to be, uh, there used to be several counselors there that were uh, older, much older white men, and now it's a young female of color council, and it's it's been tremendous. A similar thing uh, can be said about the New York City Council. Uh, New York City uh, introduced ranked choice voting for their municipal primaries uh, this last cycle. I, I'll have to say there's this wonderful anecdote from uh, one of the city council members that got elected in New York City. Her name is Amanda Farias, and um, she, her district is largely uh, Hispanic, right, like a Latino district, but there's also a large uh, Bengali population in her district, and uh, the Bengali, there was a Bengali candidate. Uh, he definitely didn't have the numbers, right, the community is too small to really get him elected, But what she did is that she partnered with him. She spent some of her campaign funds to get his uh, literature, right, campaign literature uh, printed in language to his community, and they just kind of became a team, right? So, like, he got his message out to his community. She partnered with him to do that, and in the end, the Bengali community ranked her as their second choice, and she won that with the support of the Latino community and the Bengali community. And now there's like a sense of unity and solidarity between the two communities that wasn't there necessarily before. So to me, that's like one of those like beautiful examples of how ranked choice voting can really be transformative uh, for for a particular community or, or a number of communities within a district.
1: I think it sounds terrifying for the status quo, Rebecca. (laughs) It breaks up traditional power bases and how people conduct campaigns, which is winner take all.
7: Right, right. And I think that that's initially what's really interesting is initially people get real incumbents and people are that are familiar with the old format of campaigning and the winner take all elections, you know. If the goal is to be responsive to constituents, which I really, really hope and often pray that that is the goal of someone that wants to serve, that wants to be in public service, that wants to be elected to represent a constituency, then they should be open to having the avenues to be able to articulate their message to the broadest audience possible versus just a base.
1: So why do you think they want to kill it? Why do you think they want cuz this is supposed to yep. sunset I think in 2026. In 2026. Well, because
7: well because as you get more people that are excited about this new format, it's like oh, oh wait a minute. I mean that's. I mean that that's the only it's thing the levers but, of power. It's the leverage of power. Mm-hmm. It's the leverage of power and it's but it's also you know, change is difficult. It, I, I get it. I understand it. But if you have been if you are comfortable with a certain process, and that process keeps you in your comfort zone, for whatever reason it is, it I, I understand the, the, the fear of change. But the but the challenge, but the frustrating thing to me is that, as we have gone through every single iteration, and every single um, election, you know, in twenty in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one. Yes, we, we've learned ways to improve upon how we can implement ranked choice voting elections and have subsequently, you know, made technical changes to whether it's tabulation or educating people on how, how they should be ranking, all of those different things. It allows us to improve as we've had this as a pilot program. Um, and it's in the improvement and it is in making ranked choice voting a, a, a viable and a productive and a possible, uh, imp- possible improvement on how we can run our elections. That again, it it, it does it it in, it's it's it, it cites concerns with the status quo, but but I often for a lot of people that you know were along the journey as to when we implemented vote-by-mail processes. Yes, the first couple of elections were challenging. There were people that didn't understand what a vote-by-mail ballot was. They you know, they came to and, and overran all of the balloting places because they didn't understand I that they remember. could put their money. It was kind of, kind of crazy those first mm-hmm. few years. But now that people have become accustomed to it, it's yeah. like, I really like vote-by-mail. Yeah. And so it's about opening options and opportunities for the voters. And what what often you get pushback from are candidates and people that are familiar with, you know, talk about gaming the process. They they want the old games to continue. They like the old games to continue. We want to open the doors to true franchisement and allow as many people as possible. And and the thing is this is a local control issue too. This is a choice by the local municipalities to participate in the pilot. It's not forced. Um, So I think it really is an elegant process. And let's just let the pilot run its course. That's all we're asking for this year and next. You know, let's let the pilot run its course. Let those cities that want to test the experiment participate in it. And, you know, there may be some that participated last time that won't do it in 2023 or 25. But we learn and it's all about learning. It's about data gathering and it's about exploring new ways to eliminate barriers.
6: And Maria, how can people get involved in Democracy Rising? Well, you can certainly visit our website, uh, uh, Um I mean, the best way to get involved is if there's ranked choice voting in your community. Uh, we do a lot of uh, work with community-based organizations at the ground level uh, around voter education. And we, you know, the more the merrier in terms of uh, uh, residents and different uh, community groups getting involved. I do want to say really quickly, though, that uh, in Utah and in other places that we've worked uh, around uh, ranked choice voting implementation, we also do a lot of candidate trainings. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, a lot of the candidates show up to those uh, trainings very uncomfortable, very reticent, because this is not the, you know, what Rebecca was saying, that they're used to the old system. They know what the game is there. Uh, and they know how to play it. So it's like the newness of it, the change of it that is uncomfortable. But once you go through that training uh, and we've trained uh, over 500 candidates in the last year, we get the uh, feedback that like, oh, okay, I get it. I just need to shift my strategy, right? Mm-hmm. I need to reach beyond my base and get comfortable asking for those second choice votes and that's it. So like even the candidates uh, that are reticent and and uh, sort of like not comfortable with a change once they get trained, once they understand what the the different strategy is, they can largely get on board.
1: Well, Maria Perez, thank you so much for giving us some time and joining via Zoom from New Mexico. We'll put a link in the show notes, folks, so you can catch up with Maria. Thanks, Maria. Thank you, and Rebecca Chavez hauk It's nice to see you again. I think we might have to get the two Beckys
7: yes back
1: together and do a show. Yep, for that. I'm Becky Edwards. Or, I'm
7: always up to be at former with, state my, with my 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 colleague Representative Edwards. Yes, anytime. and a Republican and a and a, and a Democrat. Democrat so I Beckys. think that'd be fun. Thank yeah. you so much for Thanks coming, for in having
1: us, and letting us know what's going on with ranked choice voting in the state of Utah. That bill though, HB 171, what's yes. the status? A status
7: is it's being held in committee. Please encourage folks to not vote for that bill to oppose HB 171. Let the pilot finish its course. I'm Laura
1: Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight. This has been Radioactive. Listen again, krcl.org. KRCL Salt Lake City. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.